Welcome to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Good Saturday morning to you. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. Uh, we are taking full advantage of the air conditioned studio this Saturday morning. Bill, how are you doing? Good morning, Jason. Doing great. That's what I love to hear, Bill. And we're going to continue our, our series today, Bill. We're uh, going over some very important legal documents. And uh, I thought it would be helpful if we just went into a little depth of, of the documents because most people, you know, they, it's like, well, what are documents and what do we, why do we need them and all that good stuff. So I, I just thought it would be helpful to if we each week we took one of the what we call our basic documents, documents that every person should have. Uh, and of course, unfortunately, a lot of folks don't have any of these documents, and it's a real shame. But um, I think it's important for folks to understand how these documents are used and, and um, uh, why they are so important uh, to, to you and your family. Um, now, last week, uh, uh, we talked about wills, uh, that is, a last will and testament. There are six documents that I consider basic documents that uh, all of us should uh, have. And, of course, uh, the will is the first of uh, those documents. And the last time I checked, the risk of death is uh, still at 100%. So uh, if you want to control your property, uh, I mean, who gets it, how they get it, uh, when they get it, uh, a last will and testament is uh, the way to do that. And it's uh, extremely important to your family. Uh, now, so what are the other five documents? Well, there is the general durable power of attorney, sometimes called a business power or a financial power of attorney. You have a health care power of attorney. Uh, now, all these documents are important. So there are three health care documents. And the first uh, is the health care power of attorney. And then the second is the advanced directive for natural death, uh, often called a living will. Uh, particularly in other states. Uh, there's a few states that call it living wills and other states call it advanced directives, but that's what it is. Uh, and then um, there's a medical release that's actually uh, required by federal law. A lot of folks have heard of HIPAA, and that's what uh, the, the medical release is about. Of course, that HIPAA language should be in your general durable power of attorney and your health care power of attorney. But federal law actually requires a separate document that waives uh, the rights of privacy to the folks that you authorize to receive your private health care information. And then lastly, we recommend what we call a digital release uh, to uh, help your agent. Um, that might be a guardian, could be an executor, uh, or it could be an agent under a power of attorney uh, to access digital records that you might have uh, in the cloud or with an institution online because um, it can be very difficult uh, to obtain that without it. So this morning, I wanted to focus on the general durable power of attorney, because quite frankly, that uh, for most people 
is the most important of all your estate planning documents. <laughs> there, there are ways that you can avoid a will and still get your property to whom you want to have it. Um, but the general durable power of attorney is the most important document, particularly when it comes to asset protection planning. And most of my senior clients, they're, you know, that's a big concern of theirs. Uh, and just like death, we don't know when something bad's going to happen to us. We don't know when we're going to have a heart attack or a stroke or uh, some debilitating uh, health crisis that comes along or uh, when we might start going down that road uh, of dementia. Um you know, we hope it never happens to us. Uh, we're optimists about it. Never going to happen to me. However, unfortunately, there's a large percentage of folks that suffer issues where they need significant assistance and they can't make their own decisions. And somebody has to step in in order to do that. And truthfully, the risk, the basic risk in terms of needing a power of attorney is over 80% for most people. Now, where I'm getting that from, where, where do I get that 80% from? Well, statistically, if you're married uh, and you reach the age of 65 together, uh, there's an 80% chance that one of the two of you will have a long-term care crisis where the other person needs to step in and make um, decisions for you. Uh, and that's just one occasion. You know, unlike death, which only happens one time to us, <laughs> uh, accidents and other issues can occur at any time. And for some of us who might be unlucky, uh, it might happen to us four or five times during our lifetime. We, we don't know. We hope it never happens. And the fact is, is that all five – of the ancillary, what we call ancillary documents, because um, the will is an absolute, you know, we're all going to die. But all of the other documents are just in case documents. But if you have them, you're, you and your family are 10 times better off than if you don't have them. And what most, what a lot of folks don't talk about is the fact that there is a cost to not having the documents that you need when you need them. Because what's the alternative if you don't have powers of attorney where you've appointed a person that you trust to take care of things uh, when you can't do it? The cost is your family has to go to court and have a guardianship. That might take two or three months to get it done, uh, and quite frankly, um, oftentimes there are running costs that, that go along with it. It's not just a matter of going to court to getting the guardianship or an order to do this or an order to do that. It's a matter of the fact that you can't really do any planning or uh, until after you get somebody who has the authority to make decisions for you. So it can be very uh, stressful and costly to the family um, it, to not have the documents. Now, so what is a general durable power of attorney? Um, a general durable power of attorney is 
uh, a document where you give someone your authority to, in essence, sign your name for property transactions, business transactions, banking transactions, uh, could be tax uh, transactions, um, it could be beneficiary designations, it could be uh, control over your uh, investments or your retirement funds or your life insurance. Um, it might be just simply a matter of paying bills. It might be that uh, is somebody to, to sell uh, the house or to transfer the truck or the car. Um, uh, that, that is what it's all about. So it's a matter of appointing someone that you absolutely trust to do what you would do or to do what's in your best interest. It's a fiduciary role. In other words, there's a lot of law behind it where there are fiduciary responsibilities to the person that you have appointed uh, to act properly with your appointment. Um, and we can talk about you know, who you might appoint and how you might appoint uh, an agent uh, to act on your behalf. But you know, clearly, uh, for the most, most people, uh, appoint their spouse, particularly if it's a first marriage, uh, and then uh, appoint children. But obviously, some folks don't have a spouse. Some folks don't have children. Uh, so sometimes it's appointing a sibling. Sometimes it's appointing a best friend, someone that you're extremely close to, uh, if you're that lucky. Um, you know, there are a lot of, lot of options there. But um, <clears throat> now... I want to end this little session because I know we have to take a break by basically telling folks, and this is something that I preach, but no one listens. <laughs> you know, I know how frustrated the preachers are out there because they keep talking about the same things over and over and over, and folks say, yeah, 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 and then they just go on and ignore what you say. <laughs> but, uh, it really comes down to the fact that for Asset protection purposes, which is the reason that most seniors need a, a power of attorney, most powers of attorney don't work. And so, in essence, what it boils down to is I know folks are out there and said, oh, I got one of those. I, got a, I have a power of attorney, and my lawyer drew it up. And you're the very folks I'm trying to talk to, trying to reach to say what you've got might work for some things, and we'll talk about how they work, but they won't work to help you protect your assets if you get in trouble that way. And so uh, the bottom line is folks need to know that the majority of powers of attorney out there will not work for asset protection purposes. And so we're going to talk about what most powers of attorney do, why they are the way they are, and what you need to do to make sure they'll work when you need it. 
listen to Bill. He's got words of wisdom. If you're one of those people that Bill was just talking about who think, yeah, I've got a power of attorney, but uh, you're not sure if it will do exactly what you need it to, get a hold of Bill. Go online to WGALaw.com. That's Bill's website. You can find plenty of information about him there. A quick break and back. More with Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Jason Kong over here, Attorney Bill Alexander over there, and we're talking all about the general durable power of Attorney Bill. This is a continuation of our series going over the six key documents when it comes to asset protection. And just before the break, Bill, this is something that we've we've talked about before in the past, but a lot of times folks have gotten their documents, but it's been many, many, many years and situations change. And that typically calls for your documents to change. Absolutely. No question about it. In fact, uh, over the course of your lifetime, if you're getting your documents done uh, back when you're young and you have minor children, uh, that's one phase. Then once your children are out of the house, uh, that's another phase. And then once you get into your senior years, that's a, a third phase. And, of course, uh, your financial wherewithal changes during those years uh, significantly, hopefully for the better. Uh, and uh, your um, uh, the laws change over that period of time, too. So oftentimes uh, what you do years ago isn't going to work or not work the way you really want it to work um, uh, as you go through different phases of your life. And truthfully, the uh, general durable power of attorney is the key document when it comes to your uh, financial uh, issues that are involved. Now, why is it that many of them don't work? Well, it's because 90% of <laughs> or more of the powers of attorney that are actually done by attorneys uh, are simple. They are documents that are transactional in nature. Um, what does that mean? It basically means if you need your spouse or your child or somebody to be able to sign your name to transfer your vehicle, your truck or your car, you know, to sell it because you're going to be out of town and you got a buyer who's coming in this weekend uh, and, and you need to give them a good title, well, that's where a power of attorney can be extremely helpful. Um uh, because it allows your appointed agent to do that transaction. Or let's say you're, you're uh, selling your house or buying a home, and you, again, you have to be you know, on the other side of the country or, or uh, somewhere around the world. So again, but the closing date is scheduled for a certain time, and, and your boss says you can't be here <laughs> during that period of time. Again, a transactional power of attorney is fine for that, okay? And most attorneys will do a transactional type of power of attorney because it's hard to get in trouble with 
uh, a, a typical general power of attorney. And the lawyers are afraid that if they uh, do an advanced power of attorney, one that gives broad authority, that it can be abused. You, in other words, you can be taken advantage of. And that is a concern. So how do you avoid the concern of financial abuse or what we call elder abuse? Because this is typically for folks that have resources, they have assets. Uh, and uh, so why would you give somebody absolute authority over your property um, with an advanced power of attorney? Well, there's an easy solution uh, if you think about it. You appoint someone who is trustworthy. Now, that's a big word, someone that you trust, someone whom you know will always do uh, what you would do yourself or what's in your best interest. Um, now, some people, quite frankly, don't have that. You know, they, they might be optimistic that they do, but they really don't have a trustworthy person in their life. But typically, for, particularly for first marriages, long-term marriages, your spouse is that trusted person. Uh, for most families, but not all, your children, or at least one <laughs> of your children, might be that trusted, trustworthy person. Hopefully all your children are, but that unfortunately isn't always uh, the case. You, you know, um, all families, I mean, I'm, it's pretty hard to find a family that doesn't have a skeleton somewhere. And, um, you know, all of our children are different. It doesn't mean that we didn't rear them correctly or as best we could. But some children make mistakes. <clears throat> they, you know, they're kids that have drug problems and alcohol problems and spendthrift problems and gambling problems and spousal problems and divorce problems. And, you know, that's life. Um, a lot of problems out there. <laughs> so you don't appoint someone in that category. Now, what if you have a second or third spouse and you have children by a previous marriage? It might not be a good idea to to appoint your spouse alone, you know, your third spouse uh, to appoint that person alone as your financial power of attorney because quite frankly, that would give them the potential for undoing your plan to see that your children uh, get uh uh, all or part of uh, of your of the inheritance uh, upon your death, uh, but at, so uh, again, it has to do with appointing someone who is trustworthy. Now, the good news is, is that the great majority of families do in fact have trustworthy family members uh, uh, who can be appointed. Um, and there, there are also options. I mean, it's the kind of thing where, uh, depending on the relationships of the family, uh, it might be appointing your spouse and one of your children as where they have to work together as co-agents to be able to do what's in your best interest. It might be a matter of appointing two children to work together as opposed to one child, uh, whereas, you know, in other words, to be taken advantage of when you have co-agents, it would, it would require them to conspire to take advantage of you, which is highly unlikely. 
Um, but, but that's the concern with an advanced general durable power of attorney. So now that I've, t- I've talked about all the negatives, then you might be saying, well, why would I give that kind of absolute authority uh, to my spouse or one of my children or more than one or however we're going to appoint our trusted agent? Well, it's called asset protection. So wh- what is the key ingredient I mean, for instance, if you have a long-term care crisis and you become demented or you need um, nursing care because your spouse just cannot take care of you safely at home anymore, and you never want that, but it happens to many, many people. So, frankly, what we do as while we're protecting folks' assets, the first thing we do is we transfer all of the property, not just the home, but all of the real estate, all of the money, all of the investments, everything but retirement accounts because of the tax implications of it. We transfer everything from the spouse who's very, very sick, the loved one who needs care, to the healthy spouse because we can do that with Medicaid Uh, while we're planning to get Medicaid assistance, and there's no sanction, you don't have to worry about the five-year look back, and the spouse is the one person in the world that you can transfer property to, and there's no problem with it. And then we can have your spouse create um, the types of investments uh, in property that are non-countable for Medicaid purposes, thereby solving a couple problems. Number one, it gets you on Medicaid fast with, without worrying about the five-year look back. And it also protects your assets at the same time. Now, the other thing that we do when we transfer property to the what we, what's called the community spouse is we um, uh, change the community spouse's will to create a supplemental needs trust for the loved one who's sick. And so thereby, we protect both the spouse who is healthy and the spouse who is sick because truthfully, there's no guarantee that the healthy spouse won't die before the person who's in the nursing home. Uh, that's one thing. We can't predict when we're going to die. Uh, and sometimes uh, folks surprise us uh, and die when we don't expect it. And so, um, you know, when we do our planning, we're going to make sure we protect both spouses and we protect the children to make sure that the plan is consistent with what mom and dad's plan is. Uh, And that's really important in any kind of estate uh, planning. Um, But this is just one aspect, and here again, Almost all powers of attorney will not allow you to transfer the home from the sick spouse to the healthy spouse. That's a huge limitation. So when we come back, I want to talk about what happens if you have an inadequate power of attorney. That's a good thing to address, and we'll do that in just a bit. If you're in this situation where you've got some documents and you're not sure if they're appropriate for your current lifestyle, schedule an appointment with Bill. Have him review them and get that expert advice that so many of us need. 919-256-7000 is the number to call. 
919-256-7000. Back with more Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander right after this. Stick around. News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. I'm Jason Kong. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. We are talking about legal documents and their importance when it comes to asset protection. And the subject at hand right now, Bill, is the general durable power of attorney. Right. Okay. So what happens if... um, you need or the family needs to transfer property from you to your spouse and you don't have any documents whatsoever and you lack the capacity to sign anything. So obviously, you know, you can't just prepare a deed or prepare some document and sign it when you can't do it. Somebody has to have the legal authority to sign that document. So if you have no document then the first thing that has to be done is that uh, you have to petition the court to appoint a guardian for you, okay? And that that takes its time. You know, court's not the fastest thing in the world, and it there are expenses that go along with it. And then after a guardian is appointed, then you have to file a separate petition to ask a judge for permission to transfer the property that meets transferring from one spouse to hopefully the other spouse, sometimes even to a child, depending on the circumstances. But there has to be a petition filed, and a judge will consider that and rule on it. And again, that takes time. Now, if if you're in a nursing home at that particular time, you are privately paying because you can't do any Medicaid planning to get on Medicaid uh, while all of this other stuff is going on. You have to be able to transfer property uh, to your spouse and then for your spouse to have the ability to do additional planning. So the bottom line is this process may take three months or more. I've seen it where it takes even longer and you're privately paying, and the average cost in this area is about $7,500 a month. So how much money is that if it takes four months to get it done? Well, there you go. That's that's $30,000 out of your pocket right there, and that's before you even start your planning. And that doesn't include the court costs or the attorney fees. That's just the cost of the nursing home while you're waiting for all this stuff to get done. So it's a very expensive proposition to the family uh, as it relates to those kind of things. Now, what happens if you have a power of attorney like most of you do, but it's not a good one? In other words, it's not going to allow your agent to make a transfer of your home or your other property or to change beneficiary designations or to deal with your insurance or your retirement accounts or all of that good stuff. Well, again, you have to file a special proceeding in court and, again, get a judge's permission uh, who will recognize that the power of attorney is inadequate, but that you this is something that you would do if you could do it, then a judge uh, could, can approve that kind of thing. But again, it's time-consuming 
and very expensive to the family to have to go through court in order to do what could have been done had you just had the right documents to begin with. And so obviously it's a whole lot less expensive for folks to have the right documents in place than it is to not have the right documents in place and then need them. And that's that's what good planning is all about, having the right documents and then knowing how to use them when it comes down to it. Now, why is it that a power of attorney wouldn't allow? Well, first of all, uh, typically uh, your spouse is your agent if you're married, okay, and uh, typically uh, for a, a spouse to transfer property to himself or herself is a breach of fiduciary duty. It's illegal to do that unless your document specifically authorizes it. It's, it can't be implied. It has to be specific where you intentionally say, I want my spouse to be able to do this. Okay, that's really important. Sometimes the gifting authority doesn't mention the spouse as a potential giftee. In other words, it says, uh, my agent can make gifts to my children and grandchildren and millennial descendants and my siblings and everybody else, but we don't mention the spouse. Well, obviously, that's a big problem, okay? It needs to be mentioned in there. Sometimes the power of attorney doesn't say anything about being able to transfer real estate or gift real estate. Well, in North Carolina, if you don't specifically say, my th- under this document, you can gift my real estate as well as anything else, um, then you can't do it in North Carolina. So what else could it be? Well, um, oftentimes the gifting provisions, uh, and I'd say the majority of powers of attorney I see do have a, a gifting provision, but it's limited to the federal gift tax exemption, which is $15,000 per year. Well, if you're limited to that, then obviously you can't gift the home because the home's going to be worth more than $15,000. Another one, another limitation that I often see in powers of attorney is you can make gifts, but you can only make gifts that I have historically made. Well, okay, that means you can still tithe to the church, and you can still, um, you know, give give to the uh, other uh, charitable organizations and make Christmas gifts that you normally make, and uh, uh, you know, anniversaries and birthdays and things like that. But that doesn't mean you can transfer the house or any significant amount of money or property from one spouse to the other under those circumstances. So. What I'm getting at is there are upteen reasons why you can't do what you want to do when you want to do it, and that's because you don't have an advanced general durable power of attorney. Now, an advanced power of attorney will also allow you to do a lot of other things, change beneficiary designations when needed, uh, move the ownership of your insurance policies from one person to another person. Um, It will allow you to create Uh, revocable trusts and irrevocable trusts. Uh, It will will basically allow you to do anything that you might need to do if you were uh, doing asset protection for yourself. That's what an advanced general durable power of attorney is for. That's what it's all about. 
And that's why it's so important to not only have an advanced power of attorney, but to have the trusted agent. But you see, again, you're giving up the right to appoint a person whom you know is trustworthy if you don't do your own documents. If you have to go to court and a court appoint a guardian, then the court's going to uh, – uh, you know, could appoint anybody, and you don't know, or it could be end up appointing a non-family member, uh, and then you're in real trouble. <laughs> so, it's uh, this is why the, this document is so important to folks. Having that power and being able to make that decision is so critical. And if you need help doing that, we've heard the many, many reasons why it's so important. Schedule an appointment with Bill. Go online to wgalaw.com. That's Bill's website wgalaw.com or you can call the office 919-256-7000 quick break and back and more with asset protection today with attorney bill alexander on news radio 680 wptf Welcome back to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. He's Bill Alexander. I'm Jason Kong. Thanking you for listening to us. And Bill, we just had a, a very thorough discussion on the general, dur- general durable power of attorney. I'm trying to put those words together, but uh, we're doing our series here on important legal documents. And uh, we've wrapped up our discussion on the power of attorney. And now we're going to shift our focus to something completely different, and that's annuities. Exactly. I mean, most people are confronted by financial advisors and insurance salesmen and others who basically talk about all of the wonderful benefits of annuities. And uh, quite frankly, uh, there are some annuities out there that are good annuities, good investments for some people. Uh, And the thing I want folks to understand is that annuities are oversold. Uh, They have their place. They are wonderful investments for certain folks and terrible investments for others. And from my perspective, uh, I think that annuities are often sold to folks who should not buy them. Uh, And so I want to talk about the risks uh, related to annuities. Now, there there are several different kinds of annuities, just to get into the basic annuities. There are fixed annuities that pay a fixed percentage. Um, uh, And so it's sort of like buying a CD, if you will. Uh, But it's a long, 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 long long-term CD when you do it. There is a variable annuity uh, that has substantial market risk because you're you're investing your annuity into the market. There's some fairly high costs with that, um, and there's you still have market risk. So when people say, "Oh, it's absolutely safe," even though it's a variable annuity, eh, wouldn't say so. All right, but there is a group of annuities that I do think are. Uh, 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 can be appropriate investments for a lot of folks. Variable annuities are for young people if they go with them at all. Uh, never 
for seniors. Uh, variable annuities are totally inappropriate for seniors. <laughs> but there is one kind of annuity called a fixed indexed annuity that can be helpful to some seniors who are appropriate uh, families for purchase of annuities. Uh, now, what's the negative? The negative, even though you know there are all these guarantees and stuff like that in the annuities, and they sound safe, what you're giving up is control of your money, long-term control of your money. Uh, no matter what kind of annuity you're purchasing. So if you want your money back for a number of years, there is a penalty if you want your money back or you need your money back. And uh, secondarily, the guarantees go away if you liquidate your annuity. So in, in essence, all those safety guarantees, if you need your money back, go away. And that's that's what a lot of folks don't realize. So the the, the key is the risk of your needing your money back, okay? <laughs> well, um, and, and you have to recognize that there are other ways that are perfectly safe, absolutely no risk or uh, virtually no risk, such as purchasing a, a CD or a jumbo CD at the bank. You know, that's a savings interest. So you don't have investment risk when you, uh, when you uh, purchase um, e even a jumbo uh, CD uh, because you can always get your money back. Uh, and even if uh, with a very small penalty, you'll still get interest on your money and all of your principal back uh, with a CD if you need your money. Um, so uh, that's the risk, really. Um, now, so... Who's at risk? Well, the lower your income is, th that tells me the greater the potential need for your being a having the ability to reach into that pocket of money to draw out money when there is a need. It might be a car repair. It might be a new roof. It might be an HVAC that has to be replaced. Or it might be a long-term care issue where the, the need for money comes up every month. Um, if you have a really good long-term care insurance policy, then okay, maybe that suffices to where you need less pocket of money. Um, if So the bottom line is the folks with a modest amount of liquidity, those uh, are folks who should not put money into annuity. So if, if your savings, if your nest egg is $100,000, then uh, and that's all you have or less, then an annuity is not an appropriate investment for you. Let's say you have 200000 then it's probably not a good investment for you because of the risk of needing your money. How about 300000 Well, still, it's getting risky. So there is a substantial risk that you will need more of your money back than what the annuity will allow you to have. So this is not the kind of risk that financial advisors talk to you about. You know, they'll tell you, yes, there's a penalty if you need your money back, and you can always get 10% or sometimes 7% or whatever. Every annuity is different, so you have to look at the fine print as to how it works. Now, um, what are some of the fine print? If you if you are a family 
that um, where an annuity is an appropriate investment, there are still some things you need to look at in terms of how you invest. And, and for those families, I'm okay with fixed indexed annuities, but some are much better than others. Um, so what are some of the things that I look at? Well, one of the things is the index itself that you're investing in. Is it a good one? Um, and, and if it is, okay. Um, what are the costs of that? Uh, well, with an index, the whole point is is that you should get close to the return of that index with with the safety of, a, of an annuity, and that's where the – benefit comes in. In other words, you can't lose money. Uh, as when, the, when the market drops, you're not going to lose with the market, but when the market gains, you gain with the market. But some of the fine print uh, things are, is your index capped? So some, uh, some are, some are not. There are many annuities that don't cap their index. So if the index goes up 15%, you get 15 rather than being capped at 7 or 8 is the allocation less than 100%? Because sometimes your allocation might be 70% or 80%. So if the index goes up to 10% and you're allocated at 70, you're only going to get 7% and not 10%. So that other that allocation is one that uh, is really important to your overall performance. Another fine print area is, does your annuity require annuitization? Because there are two phases of most annuities. One's the accumulation phase, where they normally give you a good deal, and the annuitization phase, where they pay you back. And it's the annuitization phase where most annuities screw you. That's, that's where they're not paying you very much on the money that they still control as they pay you out monthly. And so that's important to look at. So I like the ones where they don't actually require the annuitization. Uh, the ones that do typically require you to annuitize over a minimum period of time, like 10 years. So again, they're just doling your money back to you piecemeal over a long period of time. That's where they make their big money, and that's where the insurance companies make their money. And you know the insurance companies are going to make money on you. Does that make sense? That makes plenty of sense, Bill. <laughs> I mean, that's uh, something that everyone needs to take into account because we hear so much about the uh, – uh, I guess the potential and the great things about annuities, but you're exactly right. You got to take your situation into account. And we do. I mean, we'll use annuities for certain folks, and I call annuities a cheap man's trust. In other words, you really don't want the expenses of a trust, but you have a child that's a spendthrift or or has uh, uh, alcohol or drug or gambling problems, and you don't want them to get a hold of their money all at once. Well, you can. You can purchase, uh, even at your death, you can use um, a, an annuity where they get an income stream and they uh, that's irrevocable and, and they can't mess with it. So there's there are some good uses to annuities, too. <laughs> that's always good to know. Again, if you need help with uh, deciding something like that or if you need help with the general, general durable power of attorney, which we discussed earlier in the program, get a hold of Bill. Call the office, 919 256 919-256-7000. A quick break and back and more with Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF.
You're listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Just enough time to remind you, head online to WGALaw.com. That's Bill's website, WGALaw.com. You can find plenty of information about Bill's monthly seminars, his wonderful podcasts that he does, uh, all the resources, his team. You can see bio information on Bill and everyone else at the firm there. It's, It's a wonderful website. It's completely redone, too, if you've been there in the past, you might want to check it out again, wgalaw.com. On behalf of Bill Alexander, I am Jason Kong, thanking you for listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Have a great weekend.